how's everyone doing tonight? Man, I love Wednesday nights. I've so enjoyed the book of John. How many of you guys have loved meditating on Jesus as described in this gospel? It has just been life to my soul. Um, I love what the Lord has been doing here on Wednesday nights by by uh, having us go through this and pulling out different truths. And we're going to continue to go through the book of John tonight, but we're actually going to do our first time where we take a step backwards. We're not going to go to 17 tonight. We're going to take a step backwards, and we're going to remain in, in 15. Last week, we were in John chapter 16 with a powerful message by Brian Fenimore. And, and I just felt like, man... We can't leave some of these verses. I mean, this is like some of the heights of the Word of God. Amen? How many of you guys love John chapter 13 through 17? All of John is wonderful, but there is something special about 13 through 17. I was talking to one of our elders right as I was coming on staff, as they were deciding if I was going to come on staff or not. (laughs) And uh, I was talking to him about the Word, and he just... It's our elder, uh, uh, Elder Brad, and he was just talking about his love for these four chapters. And you could just not only feel his love for the Word, but his love for Jesus as described, and the Holy Spirit as described, and the Father as described in these chapters. And so I thought it'd be good just to kind of go back and, and highlight some more verses in John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, over the next few weeks. Um, Honestly, I feel like we could stay in these chapters for um, some years. (laughs) And I think it'd be wise of us to stay in some of these chapters until some of these things are happening in our lives, right? But but we won't stay in it for years. I scared some people. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> They're like, oh no, we've already been in John for forever. Um, but let's pray and let's ask the Lord to help us as we meditate on his word. Mm. Father, we come to you tonight through the intercession of your son, through his blood, through his forgiveness. And we, again, thank you for our acceptance. Thank you for desiring us to be with you where you are as your son prayed. And right now, we just ask you to open our hearts and our minds to John chapter 15. Open our hearts and, your mind, and our minds to what you are saying to us, Holy Spirit. I pray that we would be uh, drawn to you, Jesus, through your word. I pray that you would give conviction where conviction needs to be given because that is your love. I pray that you would let your love be felt on the inside of us through these words by the manifestation of fire of the Holy Spirit, by a manifestation of peace of the Holy Spirit, by a manifestation of joy in the Holy Spirit. I ask you that your word would do what it says it does and it would produce fruit in us tonight. Oh, we pray for a fruitful hearing of the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So we're going to be in the 
second half of John chapter 15, verses 1 through 7, 1 through 8, the Lord gives us the metaphor of the vine. And I don't think it's just a metaphor. He actually is the true vine. But it's a garden picture. And metaphors can only go so far. And so I kind of see the second half of John 15, even going into 16, as God describing this relationship that he laid out as a vine to a branch. And he takes it further. Because a vine doesn't have love for the branch, but Jesus has love for us. Amen? The vine dresser doesn't have a real, like, emotion toward the vine and the branch, but the Father has a lot of emotion toward his son, and because of his son, a lot of emotion toward us. He loves us with an everlasting love. And that working of the nutrients coming from the vine to the branch, Jesus takes that farther in describing the person of the Holy Spirit, in describing who the Holy Spirit is as our advocate, as our helper, as the one who joins us to Jesus, the Spirit of Christ inside of us. And we looked at that a little bit in John 14, and maybe we'll take some time uh, in the next coming weeks and look at it again in John chapter 15 and 16, the person of the Holy Spirit in these chapters. So, so we have the vine metaphor in verses 1 through 8. And again, Jesus is continuing to unfold these themes and ideas that are happening between us and the vine who is Jesus and the Father who is the vine dresser. Verse 9 says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. I'm going to read that again. There's power in this verse, okay? Hear it for yourself. Don't hear it as Jesus talking to his disciples. Hear it as Jesus speaking this over you tonight. Okay? As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. The relationship between the Father and the Son is frequently used in chapters 13 through 17 as a paradigm for the relationship between Jesus and his disciples. And I just think this is amazing. Jesus didn't say, I love you as a mother loves her baby. And that's a pretty intense love, right? Jesus didn't say, I love you as a husband loves his wife, which he does. We are the bride of Christ, and I understand that. Jesus didn't say, I love you the way a soldier loves his comrade. Or even, I won't say that last one. That's a little risky. Okay. Jesus said, the only way I could paint the picture of my love for you is to describe the Father's love for me. God has loved Jesus with a perfect love. God has loved Jesus with a joyful love. God has loved Jesus with a love that delights in everything that Jesus is. And Jesus says, you want to know the way I feel towards you? You want to know the way I think towards you? You, know, you want to know the way I want to protect you and provide for you? You want to know the way I want you to bring glory to me through the earth, the way I want to love you? 
It's the same love that I've experienced from my father. And Jesus says, and for three years, guys, I've given you that love. And Jesus is going to manifest that in a sacrificial way on the cross. I mean, this is agape love that quite honestly, Paul says, you can't get your head around it fully. We can understand it conceptually. But Paul says, you have the privilege in the Holy Spirit of experiencing it. Paul says, you can experience a love that surpasses your intellect. How many of you try to get your head in times past around the love of God? And you're just like going like, oh my God. Sometimes you're like, I can't, I don't understand it. And sometimes you're like, it's too big. I can't get my head around it, right? But the Lord can bypass our minds. And I think it's good to meditate on Scripture and to dwell on it and to think about it. Don't get me wrong. We have to have that. But the Lord can bypass our minds and cause us to experience and feel and be empowered by the same love that empowered Jesus when he walked on this earth as a man. And I argue the same love that is empowering him as he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Because you know what? Jesus is still a man. He just has a different body than you or I. He has the body you and I are going to have. He's the firstborn from the dead. Many brothers are going to follow. But he's still a man. Did you know when Jesus became, when Jesus took our place, he became a man forever. He's going to relate to the Father as a man, though fully divine, but he's going to lead the earth. And forever he's going to be amongst us as brothers. Not just like brothers, but real brothers and sisters. That is amazing. And we can go into that at another time. But the only way Jesus could paint the picture of his love for us was to use the love of the Father for the Son. He says, as the Father has loved me. Now this word love, it's the one that we, it's the love word that we love. <laughs> it's this word agape, okay? As he says, as the Father has agaped me. A way to think that, about that is, as the Father has been faithful to me. As the Father has had a committed affection for me. As God has acted with kindness and grace toward me as a man, he's saying, that's the way I have acted toward you. That's the way I have walked alongside you. And that's the promise of Jesus' leadership in his love. He is going to agape us forever. And by the power of his Holy Spirit, he says, you're going to agape me back. The same love with which I loved you, you're going to love me back, and you're going to love one another with that love. I just wrote here, God's love is not sappy or sentimental. God's love, or God loves because that's his nature. That's who he is. God is agape. God is goodwill toward you. God is faithful towards you. God is committed to his people. God is committed 
to the earth and to bring them forward and remove everything that hinders love and to reveal his love to all. Now, the removing everything that hinders love is called judgment. The revealing of everything, the revealing of love to all, I think the, the climax of it is called his return. <laughs> I think one of the best examples of this type of love in the Old Testament is found in the book of Hosea. How many of you guys know Hosea, the prophet Hosea? Have you ever read the book of Hosea? Okay, just a little bit of background of Hosea. Hosea was a prophet of God, and he was actually commanded to take a prostitute for his wife. And when she was unfaithful to him, the Lord tells Isaiah, uh, Hosea in 3 verse 1, go again and love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods. God's love is right there for us to return to. And though we are unfaithful to him, we can come back to him and experience this overwhelming agape love he has for us. Amen? And he told Hosea, I want you to marry this woman because you are going to be a picture to all of Israel of my love. Talk about a love that's not based on trust, right, Mike? <laughs> a relationship, a love that's based on agape love. No matter what you do to me, I'm faithful. I'm committed to you. I'm committed when you return to me to provide for you. Now, it did take Gomer, any woman with the name Gomer in this place, just thank the Lord right now, okay? If that is your name, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I read that today. I'm like, Gomer, man, she just had it bad every way, you know? My gosh. Sorry. <laughs> it took Gomer actually coming back to Hosea to experience his provision, to experience his love, to experience his forgiveness. It takes our part in returning, right? That's what Jesus is going to get into. He's, gonna, he's about to say, remain. Stay here in my love. No matter how wonderful the love of Jesus is for us, we have to return. We have to remain in the house of God. Amen? And I just saw that picture of Hosea and Gomer. And as I was laughing at her name, I was thinking, oh my gosh, Lord, this is us. I mean, just think about how many times you've experienced that Go again, that God spoke to Hosea to love Gomer with his type of agape love. How many of you have experienced God going again to you with his love? I mean, this is the story of our life, right? Whew, that'll preach, but we have a lot longer. We have a lot more to get through. <laughs> don't you love it when the preacher says, like, that'll preach? <laughs> it's like, I don't know if it really would, but anyway. <laughs> but you don't have the microphone. <laughs> how, so my question is, how did the Father love Jesus? Because I want to understand how Jesus loves me. I want to experience that. So how is the Father loving Jesus? And this meditation just sent me into a tailspin this week. I was meditating on this last week, 
and my emotions were just opened up to this. As the Father loves you, you love me, I would say it, and I would cry every time I would say it. It was just a tender place that the Lord let me experience with his presence. Uh, But let's go through some of the ways Scripture says that the Father has loved Jesus. Scripture says that the Father loved Jesus by showing him all that he was doing. It says this in John 5, 19 through 20. So Jesus, we're going to go through a lot of scriptures. If you want to write them down, great. If not, that's totally fine. I'm actually going to have my notes online uh, tomorrow. I don't have them online right now, but tomorrow if you go to the Wednesday night page on our website, you can have these notes. It says in John 5, 19 through 20, concerning how the Father showed Jesus all things, says, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. Verse 20, for the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. So my argument here is, as the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he is doing, Jesus loves us, his bride, his church, and reveals all that he and the Father are doing. You have access to the revelation of Jesus' leadership, of what he wants to partner with you in doing in the earth. Amen? He said, I'll never leave you. I want to partner with you like I partnered with my father. And I want to show you the things that my father showed me. And I want you to do the same works. Now, I think it's crazy here that Jesus is speaking of himself. And he says, and greater works than these will he show you. Or will he show him, the son, so that you may marvel. Basically, so that you may stand and go, God can't be that good. That's why the Father is showing Jesus greater works. And then Jesus uses the same language with us in John 14. And he says, he who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he invites us into this greater work reality that him and his Father operated in. He says, and greater works than these will you do because I'm going to my Father. I mean, the symmetry of language there is not by accident. It's Jesus inviting us in to walking with him in a revelation of doing greater works. The second way that the Father showed Jesus his love is he gave all things into his hand. It says this in John chapter 3, verse 35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. And again, my argument here is just as the Father has delight in Jesus and gives him all things, Jesus delights in us and has given us his authority to walk, to walk given us his authority to walk in for our freedom and for his glory. Just listen, Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, make disciples, preach, teach, baptize. And he says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The implication there is the authority that God has given me 
Now you get to walk with me and I get to give it to you. How does he give it to us? He's with us always. Isn't that wonderful? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, Mark. It says at the end of Mark, it says, and these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. This is Mark 16, verse 17. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. It ends with, they will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Those who believe, those who follow Jesus closely as he followed his father. That's what was just striking me about belief here. Those who believe. But those who follow Jesus closely as Jesus followed his father will walk in his authority described in these verses. So, the father showed Jesus his love by showing him all things he was doing. Jesus shows all things that he's doing to his church. The father showed Jesus his love by giving all things into his hand. And Jesus gives us his power and his authority for the Father's glory. And the third way that I was seeing that the Father loved Jesus is he delighted in him. He delighted in him. It says this in Matthew 12, 18, which is quoting Isaiah chapter 42 of the servant songs of Isaiah. It says this, Matthew 12, 18, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased, or with whom my soul delights in. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. This was spoken of Jesus. So if God delights and takes pleasure in Jesus, that means that Jesus is delighting and taking pleasure in us. Jesus delights in us. When he looks at us, he enjoys us. Did you know you're enjoyed by Jesus right now? Not tomorrow, when you've not messed up today. You're enjoyed by Jesus right now. Not in the past, not, oh, that season I was enjoyed by Jesus, but not now. No, you are enjoyed by Jesus right now. You are admired by Jesus right now. You are cherished by Jesus right now. You're the prize that was set before him. You're the joy that is in his heart. Paul prays it in Ephesians chapter 1. He says that you would walk in the knowledge, in the revelation of the inheritance that you are to him. That phrase just, I, I, couldn't, get a, I couldn't understand that when I was a young believer. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. You have an inheritance in me? You have a cherishing of me? You have a treasuring of me? He says, yes. He says, yes, I was the pearl in that field that is the pearl of great price. But guess what? You're also the pearl that was in the field that I came down to snatch up. Your treasure. I just felt like someone needs to hear that tonight. You're not putting a frown on God's face tonight. When he thinks of you, he smiles. When he thinks of you, he thinks of hope and plans and a destiny, a 
of being with you forever. He's thinking of this little 70-year internship, but it says his thoughts are more than the sands of the sea for you. You know what that means? They go on into eternity. We have hope in God's delighting, cherishing thoughts for us. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. This is a beautiful verse. I remember being a young man and this verse impacting me when I was about 19, 20 years old. It says, For the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save you. So he has power to save. He's mighty. He's with us. But look at this. And he rejoices over you with gladness. He's not grumpy or frustrated with your lack of obedience. He's rejoicing over you with gladness. And he says, and he will quiet you by his great love for you. And it says, and he will exalt or dance over you with loud, joyful singing. That's the God you serve. You serve a God that's delighting in his people. You serve a God that says, they're my chosen people. They're my special treasure. They're my holy nation. And I've set them apart to speak well of me. I feel like some of you in this room need to be refreshed. <laughs> refreshed? Refreshed. That, that was like our flesh being renewed and refreshed all in one sentence. In one word. Refreshed. I'm going to copyright that. <laughs> Some of us, I need to be refreshed in this revelation of the Lord's right now delight. That you're hanging your head low because you can't really feel the way those scriptures talk about. When Jesus came up out of the water and he said, oh, this is my son. This is him. And whom is all my delight. And whom... I have set aside all things for, and whom I put all things into his hands, and whom I'm going to show him all things. And I feel like that delight is a doorway out of depression, and that delight is a doorway out of the attack of the enemy. Let's go on. We might come back to that and pray that over us. Oh, and then I just started thinking of the characteristics of the Father's love for Jesus. And again, this is describing Jesus' love for us. The Father has a love for the Son that has had no beginning. It's always been there. And Jesus' love for us is the same. It says this in Peter's first sermon. It says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. This is Acts 2. Verses 22 through 24. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. There's that, I'm the God in your midst, mighty to save. As you yourselves know, this Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Which means the Trinity has been thinking about this day of Jesus loving us and being delivered up for us for a long time. And it says, you crucified and killed 
him by the hands of lawless men, but here's the hope, but God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for them to hold him. I love that verse. Loosing him from the pains of death. Why? So that he can receive his inheritance that is his bride. The day of the cross was the day of him stepping into, oh, my people can truly have access to be my people. It says in Revelation 13, in a great trouble that's going, to call, that's going to come on the earth, it says, and all who dwell on the earth will worship the Antichrist. Now, that doesn't mean all, because there's definitely those who stay faithful to the Lord in that day. But a lot are going to worship the Antichrist. And it says, and those who are going to worship the Antichrist are those whose name have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. Meaning the idea of our redemption has been in Jesus' heart and the way that the Father has loved Jesus from the beginning. I really feel Jesus has loved us with that same intensity from the beginning. I didn't put this in the notes, but in Proverbs chapter 2, Proverbs, uh, wisdom is personified as being next to the Father at the creation of all things. And some theologians say that wisdom that's personified that is personified in Proverbs 2 represents Jesus. You can make an argument both ways. But it says that all things were made through him, wisdom, and that his delight, wisdom's delight, was in the sons of man that he created. And I just love, even if that isn't Jesus, that's fine if it's not, Jesus delights in us. He has had passion for us and for his bride ever since we were created. Oh. Fifth thing. I'll just end with two more points. It says the father's love for Jesus. Well, the idea that I was thinking about is that it has no end. It's always been from the beginning and it has no end. And Jesus' love for us is the same. It says in Romans 8, 38 and 39. It says... For I'm persuaded, this is Paul, it's coming to the climax of Romans 8. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if we're eternal beings, that love is forever ever. And nothing can separate us. Hallelujah. Amen. I love that. Oh, I think of Jesus and the Father's love as close and personal. I don't think of it as distant and foreign. I think of it as close and personal. And as they had a close and personal love, Jesus has that same close and personal love for us. We've gone over a few of those scriptures. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. But this verse in Psalm 2710 just got me this afternoon. It says, even if my father and mother abandon me, this is, Jesus, this is David speaking to the Lord of God's love for him. He said, even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Isn't that wonderful? Now, some of you could, 
actually not imagine your father and mother abandoning you because you had a great father and mother. Others of you can actually picture that because you didn't have a good father and mother, and you do feel a little abandoned. Here's David's revelation of God's love. The Lord held him close. The Lord held him close. Through war, through leadership, through running from demonic kings, and even in favor, the Lord is who was holding him close. And it was the Lord in whom David kept returning to. It was his love he was clinging to all those years. Amen. And I don't think we're going to get out of this. We're just going to have to pick it up next week on Remain in My Love because we're just... Last thing I want to hit on the Father's love for Jesus and how Jesus loved us is that his love is unchanging. God's love for Jesus was unchanging and Jesus' love for us is unchanging. It says in the famous Psalm, Psalm 136, verse 1, it says, to tell the people of Israel to sing, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. This is called the great, the great Hallels of Scripture. This is what was sung at the dedication of Solomon's temple. It's good. Thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Why is he good? Because his steadfast love endures forever. Why is God good? What is, causes the psalmist to, to break forth in praise and to command Israel to sing? It says God has steadfast love. And it does not give up. It does not give in. And it is around always and for all time. Now, the second half of this that we'll get to next week is abide in my love. <laughs> there's a choice. There's an abiding. There's a remaining. There's a Martha being anxious and troubled, but Mary sitting at the Lord's feet. There's prayer. There's obedience. Jesus has given us access to divine love, but no matter how much access he's given us, we got to choose to walk through that door. Amen? And we'll talk about that next week.